Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, and welcome back to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. You've probably heard of hedge funds, but don't really have a good idea of what a hedge fund actually is and how it differs from mutual funds. Hedge funds and mutual funds are both investment vehicles that pull money from multiple investors to invest in a diversified portfolio of securities, such as stocks, bonds, and other financial instruments. However, they differ in several key ways. Your mutual fund typically follows a straightforward investment strategy of investing in a specific asset class, like large cap stocks or commercial grade A bonds. They are designed to provide diversification within a particular investment category. Hedge funds may invest in publicly traded stocks or bonds, but they also employ a wide range of investment strategies that can include long and short positions, leverage, and derivatives. They may also invest in alternatives like commodities and private equity. The aim of hedge funds is to generate returns for their investors regardless of market conditions, and so they may use strategies that hedge against market risks, hence the name hedge funds. Hedge funds capitalize on volatility, which attempt to take advantage of dislocations created when financial market movements do not reflect fundamental value. To truly understand how hedge funds are different from traditional mutual funds, I think it's worthwhile to take a deeper dive into derivative investing. Derivatives are financial instruments whose value is derived from the underlying asset, index, or other variable. Derivatives do not have intrinsic value of their own, but instead derive their value from the performance of something else. This something else could be almost anything, but commonly includes stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, or interest rates. One example of derivative investing is options trading. Depending on your strategy, you can buy options or sell options. Options give you the right to buy an asset at a specific price within a specific time frame, or sell an asset at a specific price within a specific time frame. Options can be used with many assets, but are commonly used with stocks. Let's start with an example. Let's say you think that the price of a stock for a pharmaceutical company, ABC, is going to drop in the near future due to the poor performance of their current drug compared to placebo on recent drug trials. Currently, ABC is trading at $100 a share. To profit from the decline in the value of ABC stock, you could buy a put option with a strike price of $90 at a premium of $5 per share for 1,000 shares that expires in three months. This gives you the right, but not the obligation, to sell ABC shares at $90 each, which is the strike price, regardless of the current market price. In this case, you're paying $5,000 or $5 times 1,000 shares for that put option. That gives you the ability to sell the shares of ABC at $90 each. If the price of ABC falls below the strike price of $90 before the option's expiration date, your put option becomes valuable. You can exercise the option and sell the shares at the higher strike price. For example, if the price per share drops to $80, you can sell the shares at $90 and make a $10 profit per share, minus the $5 per share that it costs you to buy the put option. In this example, you buy 1,000 shares at $80, the current market price, and then use your option to sell those shares for $90 a share, 
making $10 a share or $10,000 minus the cost that you paid for the option, which was $5,000. Your total profit in this example is $5,000. However, if the price of ABC remains above the strike price of $90, then your put option may expire and become worthless. So you essentially lose the $5,000 you paid for that put option. In this scenario, the most you can lose is how much you pay for the option. However, the upside could be significant. If ABC stock price dropped to $50 a share before your option expired, then you would be able to make $40 per share, or $40,000 minus the $5,000 it costs you to buy the put option. That means $35,000 in profit on a $5,000 cost to buy that put option. So that $35,000 off of $5,000 is making seven times your money, which can be really attractive to some people. On the flip side, you could do it and lose 5,000. That's your largest downside. But if you do it again and again, and you keep losing 5,000 seven times, then you've lost $35,000. Now let's go over another example using options, a strategy called covered call. This is considered a conservative options trading strategy used by investors who own a specific stock and want to generate additional income from owning that stock. Let's say you own 100 shares of company XYZ, and the stock price has been relatively stable, and you do think it will go up over time, so you want to keep it. It's currently trading at $50 a share. You can sell a call option that lets someone else buy your shares at the strike price of $55 per share with an expiration date of, let's say, one month. The premium for this that someone is willing to pay might be $2 a share, and I'm totally making up these numbers. So someone could buy this contract and give you $200, $2 per share multiplied by the 100 shares. If the stock price remains at or below $55 over the time frame of the contract, in this example, one month, then the option will expire worthless and you make $200 for selling the option and you get to keep your shares of the stock. But if the strike price rises above $55, then the call option would be exercised by the person you sold that option to. Let's say the price rises to $58 a share. You'll end up selling your shares at the $55 price that's in the contract when you sold the option. The person who buys those shares from you at $55 can now turn around and sell those shares at market value of $58, making $3 per share or $300 minus the $200 that he paid you for the option. So the person who bought that option from you nets $100. You net $200 from selling the option and $5,500 for selling the shares at $55 each, but you no longer own the shares and you can't sell them at the market price of $5,800 for your 100 shares. You still make $5,700, but that is $100 less than if you hadn't sold the option and you elected to sell the shares at the market value of $58 a share. In this scenario, you really can't lose money. What you lose is the potential to gain from a large upside in exchange for income for holding onto the stock. Let's say the stock price went up to $60 a share and you could have sold at $6,000 instead of at $5,500. On the other hand, you could continue to sell covered call each month earning income while the stock price isn't changing. You could see how this could potentially be a valuable way to generate some income when the stock market really isn't moving anywhere or a particular stock's not moving anywhere. Futures contracts, often used for commodities, are similar to options. 
They are standardized agreements to buy or sell a specified quantity of an asset at a predetermined price on a future date. In this case, it's an agreement to buy or sell instead of an option to buy or sell. There are also option contracts based on future contracts that provide traders the right to enter into a future contract, but not the obligation. You can see how all of this can get quite complicated. Hedge funds use derivatives to hedge against potential losses in the portfolio. I hope that through these examples, you can start to form a picture of how hedge funds use various options to protect against downside risk on their equity holdings. Hedge funds can have significant turnover, which generates more costs. This translates to higher fees. Hedge funds often charge both management fees and performance fees, which are usually some percentage of the profits. The performance fee is typically a significant portion of compensation for hedge fund managers. Mutual funds typically charge management fees, but don't have performance fees. The management fees are generally lower for mutual funds compared to hedge funds. Hedge funds are typically open only to accredited investors and often require substantial minimum investment. The minimum investment for a hedge fund can be anywhere between $100,000 up to even a million dollars. Mutual funds are open for any investor and generally have relatively low minimum investments. Traditional mutual funds typically have a minimum initial investment ranging from $500 to $5,000, though there are some mutual funds that have no minimum initial investment. With exchange-traded funds, the minimum investment is the price of one share. Hedge funds often have restrictions on when investors can redeem their shares, with lockup periods that can range from a few months to several years. Some hedge funds may have quarterly or annual redemption windows. In comparison, mutual funds are fairly liquid. Investors are able to buy or sell shares on any business day for the fund's net asset value. Hedge funds are also much less regulated compared to mutual funds. While they are still governed by the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, in the United States, they operate with greater flexibility and fewer regulatory constraints compared to the specific rules and regulations that traditional mutual funds must follow. And those rules are designed to protect investors. With less regulation, there's also less transparency when it comes to hedge funds. Hedge funds are not required to disclose their holdings or their strategies to the public. Contrast that to mutual funds, which are required to regularly disclose their holdings and provide detailed information about their portfolios to investors. When investing in a hedge fund, in my opinion, you're essentially investing in a black box where you're trusting the hedge fund managers are skilled enough to create significant returns. Hedge funds generally seek to provide significant returns, regardless of market conditions, as well as capitalize on volatility by using derivatives and a wide range of strategies across global financial markets. I personally have no experience with investing in hedge funds, nor do I engage in options trading. However, I still think it's good to know about the different type of investments that are available. For me personally, I think what sways me away from hedge funds comes down to the challenge Warren Buffett issued to the hedge fund industry back in 2008. It was, and probably still is, Warren Buffett's view that the hedge fund industry charges exorbitant fees that the fund's performance really can't justify. Protégé Partners LLC accepted Buffett's challenge, and the two parties placed a million-dollar bet on which investment strategy would win in 10 years' time. Warren Buffett chose Vanguard's S&P 500 fund, VFIAX, against Protégé's average return of five fund of funds. The bet started on January 1st, 2008, before the market dropped 37% with the recession that hit that year. 
Perge's hedge funds were up 23.9% for 2008. Then Buffett beat Perge for every year from 2009 to 2014, and then again in 2016. In 2015, Protégé's funds did a little better than the S&P 500 fund, but it was pretty close. By year nine, the hedge fund average had a cumulative return of 22%, compared to a 85.4% return on the S&P 500 index fund. Protégé conceded to losing before the official end date of the bet of December 31st, 2017. That being said, I do want to share what Protégé wrote before the bet even started. Quote, Hedge funds do not set out to beat the market. Rather, they seek to generate positive returns over time, regardless of the market environment. They think very differently than do traditional relative return investors, whose primary goal is to beat the market, even when that only means losing less than the market when it falls. End quote. I think what he's really saying is that hedge funds are not the same as traditional mutual funds. They do provide a different role and add further diversification in a portfolio. The idea is the returns of hedge funds is not correlated to the return of the general U.S. stock market. Different hedge funds also differ significantly in the returns. So as with any investment, you want to make sure you're doing your due diligence in choosing your investment vehicles before investing. So I hope you enjoyed this episode about learning a little bit more about hedge funds and derivatives. My mission with the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast is to increase your financial literacy and to empower you to make your own financial and investing decisions. Is there something in the world of personal finance or investing that you would like to learn more about or would like more clarification on? If that's the case, Shoot me an email if you've got an idea for a podcast topic. You can reach out by emailing me at growyourwealthymindset at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next week for another episode of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer, I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.